Welcome to Exchange Church, where we desire to connect and grow people in Jesus. Thanks for listening to our Bible message today, and feel free to share it around. Reading from Timothy again, 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 15, and if you'd like to follow, Jerry has it on the screen for us. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are are in, in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarrelling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Okay, thanks Marie, appreciate that. What a great word, hey? Uh, my name is Todd Hall, I'm the pastor here at Exchange, so uh, so glad you could be with us this morning as we come to a really important part of our worship. Uh, worship is all of life and uh, part of our worship now is to come and open up God's word and allow him to speak clearly and truly into our lives and uh, as Candice said before, we love the word of God. Uh, we love it to get inside of us and we love the Holy Spirit to take that, to change the way we think and uh, the way uh, we act as well, to bring honour and glory to God and to be fulfilled and blessed uh, as people. Okay, that's a tricky passage, particularly those last few verses. Uh, I'm glad you were wearing a pearl there as well, Marie. It's totally okay to wear pearls, right? We spoke about that last week, so... I did tell Lizzie to braid her hair this week as well, but she didn't do that for me, but okay. If you're not sure about that, go back to last week's talk and that'll be fine. She did straighten it, James, that's right. But this particular passage, the end of it here, those last few verses, over the last 40 to 50 years, has generated the most controversy uh, than any other passage in the Bible within the church. Uh, That particular passage, those last few verses, has actually generated so much controversy at times that it has split churches and split denominations of people have disagreed upon how that looks. Well, this is one of the beauties of expository book preaching. You don't get a chance to skip over those things. you actually got to keep working through the book until you, ah, I'm up to that passage. So that is what it is today. It's that passage. And I'm glad it is that passage because it's here and it's good for us. It's good for us to understand what the Holy Spirit is inspiring Paul to tell Timothy to bring order to the church. Now, I understand as we go through today, we are going to have perhaps a few questions. So we are going to do some question and answer at the end of the service. So, Jerry, if you want to put that slide up, uh, you can go to slido.com on your phone and you'll be asked to enter an event number, 1288659. You can type in your question on the phone and then that question will pop up on my app and we'll do it that way. 
if you haven't got to do that, if you, sorry, if, you have, if you're not able to do that and you're happy to take a microphone, we're happy to pass the microphone around to ask a question as well. But you can put a question there in the app and I'll answer those questions later on. Now, that is not an excuse to go to Instagram or anywhere else and update some photos. Okay, It's just for slido.com. Okay? So 12886589 and we'll put that slide up again uh, at the end. Let's pray. Hey, before we jump in. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning, God, that we can gather together. We thank you, Lord, for your living, eternal word. Uh, Lord, this is not a dead word. This is not ink on pages. This is a living word. We ask, Holy Spirit, today that you would uh, come and speak and breathe life into this word uh, so that we will grow in Christ, grow in the gospel as men and as women. Help us to do the best we can to understand what's happening here and to do this with love and humility, we pray. Uh, Lord, we ask that we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's remember again the context for First Timothy. Paul is writing to Timothy to establish good order and right principles so that the local church can flourish here in Ephesus, growing strong and healthy disciples of Jesus. What's happened is false teachers from within the church, and if you go back to Acts 19 and 20, you can actually see a bit of background on the church of Ephesus where Paul was working with there. And he said then some people within the church will, will rise up and they'll, they'll bring division into the church. That's what's happened. They've risen up amongst them and they're teaching a false gospel and they're beginning to lead the church astray at this particular time. We're not sure how Paul has heard of this, but it has got back to him that there's confusion and there's error in the churches at Ephesus. So Paul loves Jesus. Paul loves the church. So he now writes to instruct Timothy to what to do and how to get the church back on track for gospel mission and gospel growth, getting people saved and growing people in Christ at the same time. So he's writing to Timothy now, his young apprentice, what to do to get the church back on track, back into true and uh, honourable doctrine. Last week we had prayer and mission, uh, verses 8 to 10. We saw there, as Marie read for us before, that Paul wants the men to lead in prayer in the church. So take this leading role to pray in the church. Also, he addressed the women there as well, and he wants women to get their focus on growing godly character and adorning their lives with modest and self-controlled living that serve Jesus and his kingdom. All of that combines, as in uh, a loving uh, men praying and women putting on this godly character, all of that contributes to the mission of the gospel that Paul again reminded Timothy about that as well. This week, uh, it's God-honouring order... So order within the churches, God honouring order for males and females for their roles within the church. And Paul's going to particularly speak to the women this week in this particular way. So today we carefully want to work through these remaining verses here in chapter 2. And I want to do this with all the humility and love that I can muster because I'm here as an under-shepherd to shepherd the flock of God as a servant of Christ to bring God's word so that we can grow in that and be established as mature, growing disciples. Uh, here's where we're going to head today then. Uh, God's order of roles with male and female within the local church is a place of flourishing for all people in Christ. So God's, role, God's order of roles, male and female, within the local church is a place of flourishing for all people in Jesus. A little bit different today, though. Uh, we'll be working through the text, obviously the big issue in those last few verses, uh, at the same time. We'll have a little bit of history behind the passage and perhaps the way it's been handled of late and how people see it today from a couple of different viewpoints, how they look at this particular text. And if you disagree with me today, that's really okay. Okay, I'm not going to be offended if you, if you disagree with where I go. Um, I'm still going to love you and I hope you'll still love me as well. It's just okay. Let's jump in. On face value, the passage seems very straightforward as we read this. As we step through it, let's see what Paul says. In verse 11, so we've covered sort of verses 1 to 10 last week. Verse 11, Paul's following on for where he's been telling women to adorn themselves in godly character. And then he says in verse 11, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. 
So Paul is saying here, let a woman learn with an attitude of a quiet spirit, not being boisterous or noisily outspoken. Now, we're not given a lot of context here for why would Paul say that. Perhaps it's got back to him that there are some ladies there who are quite noisy or boisterous, and men can be the same as well, but at this particular time, Paul's addressing the women, and they're out of order in the sense of they're not having a quiet spirit or a quiet attitude. So Paul's saying here, let the women learn quietly, not being boisterous or noisily outspoken. Now, Small digression, um, learning is a very positive thing here that Paul talks about. Why do I say that? Women were not encouraged to learn back in that culture in that particular time. The men were encouraged to learn, but not the women. So Paul's saying, let them learn. So in other words, that's a positive thing that Paul is doing here straight away in elevating women's status to learn, to learn about the gospel. Paul also goes on to say, let her also, this is the women, submit to the ruling authorities that are in place within the church. So with all submissiveness. There's a sense maybe again that some women in that particular church were stepping outside those lines. So Paul's saying, let them also do that with all submissiveness, submitting to God's authorities within that church. Let's move on to that verse. I do not permit a woman to teach... Or to exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I give no permission for a woman to teach. Teach what? Is probably the big question. What what do you mean there, Paul? In the context of what Paul's saying, it's this. I don't give permission for a woman to teach adult men about Jesus or to teach from the Bible in the local church. Paul says, that's not going to happen. Also, Paul goes on to say, the women, she, isn't to hold a central authority position over other adult men within the local church either. So don't forget, we're just talking about what the text is telling us at this particular time. It's pretty straightforward when you read it like that. If we summarise, we can just say this. At face value... Paul says to let a woman learn quietly, with a quiet attitude, with all submission, and not teach the Bible, or have a central authority over adult men in the local church. And that's probably where all the controversy begins to kick in. Let me tell you, there have been two ways that this text or this passage has been seen, and this particularly over the last 50 or 60 years, but there's two main ways that people see this passage here in Timothy as they read that, which brings about all this controversy. Some people interpret this passage as unique for Ephesus only. There was something unique about Ephesus. Maybe they had really a large group of boisterous lab women. Maybe they had a group of uneducated women, so therefore they couldn't teach. But there was something unique about this situation here in Ephesus, so that what Paul says really is only for them back then and doesn't carry any weight for us today as hearing this 2,000 years later. We, as a different culture and a different time to theirs, we can evolve in a different way than the way females and males have in Ephesus back then. So there's one way of viewing this by saying it was unique for Ephesus then, where Paul was writing to Timothy, but doesn't really apply to us today because we are a different situation, a different circumstance altogether. We might better get some things out of that, but the weight of the passage in how Paul says it doesn't apply today. That's one way that people view this passage, that it's not about us, it's more about them. The other view says this, the principles, because the Bible is full of principles, the principles that Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2, particularly these last few verses we're looking at today, that they are universal for all time. Not just for back then, but for all time. Even today, and in God willing, in another thousand years' time, there will still be the same principles in place for us today. And the reason being is that Paul grounds these principles in God's created order 
which is right and good for us in all times, all cultures and all contexts, full stop. So two views there as we think about this passage. One is it's unique for Ephesus then, for their sort of circumstances and for what they were facing. So it really applies to them and it doesn't apply to us today. And the second view is it's a universal principle for all time, all places, all people, all contexts because Paul grounds this in the uh, creation order. Now, I think what's really helpful here to understand perhaps some of this controversy is to think back a little bit on church history, particularly 1 Timothy chapter 2. And let me tell you, for those who've done some theology or are reading, uh, get some good books on church history. It is very eye-opening to see the way God has grown the church down through the centuries. It's just fascinating to see the way God does that. Now, having said that, this passage here, 1 Timothy 2, these last few verses particularly, for about 1,900 years within the church hasn't been an issue. It's caused no stress. It's caused no dramas for about 1,900 years. There's been no controversy at all over this chapter here in Timothy for that period of time. They've read it, they've understood it, and they've simply applied it to church life as it reads. For 1,900 years, it's been like that. It's probably around, like I say, 100 years or so back, it started to stir, but maybe more so around the 1960s, so we're talking uh, 50, 60 years ago, that this passage first began to be challenged within churches. They began to re-look at this passage, probably heating up in about the 1960s. Up until that point, there was really no drama at all around this passage. The odd little stir here and there, but nothing significant. But something then happened in the 1960s, which all of a sudden ignited a whole fresh look at this passage here in Timothy. Since the 1960s, there has been countless books written about how to understand this passage. Countless books, where most of these books land on these two views. Unique to Ephesus or a universal principle for all time. That's all happened uh, since then. That's an important point for us to think about as we consider why this passage attracts so much controversy and understand, gee, for, whole, for 1,900 years it wasn't an issue. So just bear that in mind. Let's think about this for a moment as well, which I think plays into the way this passage has been looked at over the, uh, over the years. Uh, what's important also here to understand is that the history of our Western culture as well, because I think this has a bearing on what's happened with this particular passage, and mainly in our Western culture is where this significant change has taken place, and that is in the 1960s at the same time, there's a significant step up in the women's feminism movement around the 1960s. A lot of good has been achieved in the women's feminism movement for greater equality of women at that particular time. There was a sense where women were being suppressed and oppressed on a range of different fronts, and the women's feminism movement did do a lot of good. Voting rights, equality of pay, and many, many other good things that actually come through that feminism movement in the 1960s. But, like every other movement, it also pushes on sort of all the boundaries of life. It sort of presses on everything here as this change begins to take place. And some of those boundaries that this feminism movement pushed on, I think, were overdone, pushed too far, and pushed it into territory it probably shouldn't have gone into. There was a sense that the feminism movement wanted to do away with all distinctions between male and female and have them fully interchangeable with all roles. Whatever a man can do, a woman can do. If we want to get full equality, we actually go the whole hog. It was to just draw all distinctions away. Whatever man can do in life, a woman can do. Now, coincidentally, this feminism movement in the 1960s also sees the rise of this reinterpreting this passage here in 1 Timothy 2. And not long after this... There's a push for women to be ordained as priests or pastors in church denominations. 
It took 20 years or so. It didn't happen straight away, but those stirrings began in the 1960s. And then we got to the 1980s, we're actually seeing women becoming uh, pastors of churches and lead pastors and becoming elders and a whole range of things. 20 years after sort of that feminism movement gave birth, we see that happening. But it's interesting. For 1900 years prior to that, There's actually no issue with this passage at all until we get to this stage here in the 1960s and things begin to change. So we've got two views as we think about this passage. There's two views. We've got church history and we've got cultural history also, I think, that are all playing into this passage for how we might sit and think about it today and how it works in our lives. There's a a few things sort of rolling around here and it's good for us to be aware of these things because that, that will help us to understand, am I thinking about this right or am I thinking about this wrong? Now, you're probably all asking the question. I've given you two views. Where do you land, Todd? You're the pastor of this church. Where do you land? Well, I'm convinced that what Paul gives us here as we read 1 Corinthians 2, I'm convinced that Paul gives us a universal principle that applies to all time, all cultures, and all contexts. Paul's not writing uniquely just for the Ephesians back then. The Bible is filled with cultural things. One of them is, in Corinthians, about greeting each other with a holy kiss. That's a cultural thing. Did anybody get a kiss on the front door when they come in today? Ah, Jan did, okay. I'm sure... I'm sure if we were still following that principle, a greet each other with a holy kiss, we'd have a lot of men lining up for the welcome job, probably, wouldn't we? (laughs) There are cultural things here, but not this time. This is not a cultural principle. This is a universal principle for all time, all places, all contexts, all peoples, is what Paul is saying here. God has designed that men are to pastor churches, lead churches, and qualified men are to be the teachers within the local church, is what Paul is saying here. So therefore, women, as God has designed them, are not called to hold those positions in the local church. That's called a complementarian understanding of male and female roles in life. Equal in every way, but different in the way God's created us and the, and the roles that he's called us to play. Now, holding a complementarian view is not a popular position today. A growing number of denominations really have opened up their doors for women to pastor churches, teach in churches in a major way. And it's not diminishing that, it's actually growing as you, as you see the church expanding around the world. It's also not popular because Western culture keeps moving down a pathway here that says that there are no distinctions between men and women when it comes to roles. Whatever a man can do, a woman can do. They actually call that an egalitarian position, that there's no distinctions with roles. We can do exactly the same things. So you have a complementarian say there's different roles, different purposes for men and women, and an egalitarian says, no, no, we're all equal and we can do the roles interchangeably. I'm not trying to wear with big words, but that's how they describe those two scenarios. So to hold what I consider the biblical position in this doesn't place myself or this church, for those who are thinking the same way, with the majority of the culture. And I'm okay with that. We don't have to go with the crowd. We actually have to go with God. So I'm okay with that. Here's why I'm convinced that this is the biblical position for male leadership in pastoring and teaching. Look what Paul does in the next verse. Verse 13, he says this, for, now that word for is a really, really, really important word. It's only three letters, but it connects verse 13 to verse 12. Paul says that in verse 12, and he says for, which is really saying because of this, that's why, that's why I'm preaching verse 12. He says in verse 13, For Adam was formed first, and then Eve. Paul grounds his Holy Spirit-inspired position on male leadership in the creation order that God has ordained. 
That's why it's universal for all times, all contexts, all places, all peoples. It's not just a passing thing. Paul's gone right back to first principles and he grounds this in the creation order. Now, we're not going to do it today, but I would encourage you to go back to Genesis 2 and 3 to freshly look at God's creative order for males and females. A really short recap to help us, though. God has created males and females absolutely equal, absolutely equal in status, value, respect, dignity and worth. Equal. As much as you can emphasise that word Equal. No difference between man and woman in those areas before the Lord. We are both equally made in the image of God. Man is not better than woman, and woman is not better than man. Equal, 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 equal before the eyes of God in our dignity, status, value, respect, and worth. Significantly, though, God has created men and women different. Equal, but different. Now, obviously, one standout difference is our physiology. Women can have babies, men can't. That's just one standout difference. You've got to be blind, Freddy, if you can't work that out. Also, though, we are different in the roles that God has ordained for us to carry out in his creation. Equal, but yet different roles God's given to us. If you follow through the creation account, you'll see that God has created man first, is what Paul says there. And God has also created man, as in males, to head or lead in creation. And the woman, equal to the man but different, is created in her role to help and support his headship in leading creation. That's what God has done. That's his ordained roles. No difference between us in the sense of equality before the Lord, but difference in the roles that God has ordained for male and for female. Now, we can also see that played out in the marriage roles as well. And we did a talk there back in, I think, November last year on relationships. You can go back to the YouTube channel and find that. Ephesians chapter 5, you see that played out there as well. That the husband is meant to be the head of the relationship, a loving, sacrificial head, and the woman is to submit to his leadership and authority within the marriage. So what Paul does here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is to take what God has laid out in Genesis, where males have a leading role, and to replicate that now into the church as well, following God's order, following that out for first principles. So men are to be the spiritual leaders within the local church and men are to lead in the teaching of the Bible in the church. That's why I'm convinced of uh, this passage of God's order for us. And I can honestly tell you, I haven't sort of been in that position that I've gone to there. No, no, I've actually always landed here all my life as I read this passage. And if we do that, I believe, and I'm convinced of this, that we will know the blessing of a healthy household, a healthy local church that enables men, women, children to flourish and grow in Christ in life if we follow God's order. Let me just think now for a little bit. We'll come back to some of the benefits shortly. But let's think about some of the pushback that's come against 1 Timothy chapter 2 over the years. Here's where I think we get this pushback. Uh, Again, the women's feminist move in the 1960s stood up for equality and also against male domination and demeaning of women. A good thing. And an element of this, uh, an, an element of that movement took this to oppose any male authority or roles that kept women out of certain areas. An element of that just sort of went the whole hog. This, I think, then crept into churches and particularly into passages like 1 Timothy 2, and then became challenged on many fronts, possibly by some quite strong and determined women who wanted to reinterpret this passage because of this rise of the feminism movement at that particular time. But let's think back. For 1,900 years, it wasn't an issue, but now it is. I think there was a time there where they gathered perhaps some momentum from the feminism movement 
And then they allow that to creep into the churches and say, we need to reinterpret some of these passages as well then. We've got pushback from there. I think some strong-willed women struggled then with this order structure that God had placed. They just could not submit themselves to that and they wanted to push back against it. Now, with that in mind, I had this this really interesting story as I did a lot of reading this week trying to think of this passage. And here's what this story I come across uh, was. I've got a quote up here for you. Uh, Put the first one up. Thanks, Jerry. Uh, Australian New Testament scholar Claire S. Smith, so this is a female scholar, she's an excellent writer of uh, God's Word. Uh, Australian New Testament scholar Claire S. Smith tells of a new Christian, a university age woman in an ethnic based church, so not a Western culture church, an ethnic based church, who read 1 Timothy 2 for the very first time. When asked whether she found it difficult, she replied, the woman replied, no, it's easy. Paul is saying women shouldn't shouldn't teach in the church because that's the way God wants it. That makes sense. She got to a new uh, ethnic person and said, hey, what do you think of that? No, I get that. I fully understand that. Now, let's move on. Uh, Claire Smith says, it will be easy, Smith notes, to to suppose that her ethnic cultural background probably made it easier for her to do that. Maybe she come from that background where well, that's already a done deal. We all know that. Okay, but Claire Smith moves on and makes this really insightful comment next. But Smith continues, but can you see that the opposite might also be true? That our culture influences our reading of the text and that many of the difficulties we find in it might exist because of our culture and our personalities and not because of the text itself. That's really insightful when you think about that. It's what we bring to the text. It's what we bring of our own personalities. It's what we bring into it begins to shape the way I'm going to think about that. That's exactly what Claire Smith says here, a female. She says that many of the difficulties we have here, we actually bring them because it's, we're culturally sort of trained by the culture we're in or our own personalities we bring into this passage as well. See, we could read this passage through our own culture or our own personality, which could be either readily submissive. That doesn't mean every single woman in Western cultures is strong-willed or determined. Some are readily submissive. But there are some who are strong and determined personalities and they bring that possibly into this text and I'm going to push back on that because that's, that's where I am as a person. I think that's really important for us to think about. Are we just letting the text speak to us or am I speaking to the passage with my own cultural sort of training and my own personality? Here's another one. I think a large section of the church has also gone down this pathway of reinterpreting 1 Timothy 2 because it fears, it fears being seen as too radically different to the world's culture around about us. As the world has pushed down a long way down this feminism movement of the 1960s, perhaps over the last 50 odd years, the church has felt that pressure as well. And I think a section of the church has been spooked into thinking if we don't follow suit with the culture that's around about us, we'll be seen as a church as irrelevant or out of touch with the world that is around about us. So a growing section of the church has reinterpreted 1 Timothy 2 to sort of stay relevant with the world. Now, I can admire their motivation by trying to sort of keep some sort of connection with the world, but that's not the way to go about it. Not to change the Bible the way we understand it, to sort of make it suit the way the world's thinking or the way the culture around about us us is thinking. That's not the way to go, but I think that's what's happened. A number in the church have said, we need to stay relevant, so we'll change so we're sort of more like the world, and maybe we can attract the world into the church that way. That's not going to work. I believe those, amongst a number of other factors, have contributed to all this controversy, pushback and reinterpreting 1 Timothy 2 over the last 50 or 60 years. 
all those things have contributed there for a lot of confusion the way we see it, other than trying to understand what Timothy's telling us here under the inspiration of God's Spirit. Now let me also add this. I don't discount whatsoever that there have been cases and probably lots of cases where men have totally abused a passage like this and have used it as a um, tool for dominating and demeaning women of all sorts. And the women have felt crushed under that. I'm not discounting that at all. I'm sure that's happened. That has happened. Where men have taken a licence here to say, right, we can dominate this and we can put these women into some sort of servile, submissive fear underneath us. If you've experienced that, I am really, really sorry that you have experienced that. That has happened. That sort of behaviour carried by men dominating and demeaning women is reprehensible. It's disgusting. And it's absolutely ungodly if it's been used like that. That's not what this passage is here for. For men to sort of actually pull out this cricket bat and say, right, I submit or else. Not at all. What is 1 Timothy 2? It is God's good order for the local church to flourish and grow strong, healthy disciples of Christ. And the local church has an abundance of opportunities for ladies to minister within the local church. If we think about what Paul's saying, he's only really holding out two areas where women with the roles that God's given them aren't to be in those areas. That's to be in a central authority position over men in the church or to be teaching the Bible from the church. Paul says that's an area that God has reserved for men only to carry out those roles. That men are to spiritually lead the church and to be the teachers within the church as well. And we're going to see this unpacked in next week when we talk about elders and deacons as well. But Paul does a great work here for us in 1 Timothy. Now let's think about also um, how this is to be carried out. Not by a cricket bat, the total opposite to that. This order that Paul calls Timothy to is to be bathed, is to be immersed, is to be surrounded in and carried out with love and a pure heart as men lead the church and as men teach the church. Let's go back to verse 5 where Paul's setting up the groundwork here for Timothy. He says this in verse 5 of chapter 1. The aim of our charge, Timothy. Timothy, as you lead these churches, as you restore these churches to good order and to good practice, the aim of our charge, Timothy, is love. That issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's a place where men and women can flourish when leadership is carried out like that. Men, as we lead, as we preach to shepherd the church, we do so with love. We do so with a pure heart. We do so with a good conscience and a sincere faith to magnify and glorify Christ and to grow men, women and children to flourish in Jesus. We are not here to dominate and to demean women into servile, fearful submission. That is not the role of the men in the church. We are here to fulfil God's good order to help them grow and flourish through love and a pure heart. And when the local church operates this way, following God's order, I'm absolutely convinced, totally convinced, that we will experience gospel-driven purpose in our lives and fulfilment for what we were created for, following God's order. And within that, men and women can flourish in their God-given roles. They can grow and they can be liberated to freely worship God and freely find their place in the church and actually be content in that. Notwithstanding, sometimes you'll still have to fight your own perhaps personalities that we might want to push back against that, but if you embrace what God's called us to, that's a place of flourishing. Where does this start? This starts for men and women by seeing Jesus Christ, the ultimate man, the true shepherd of the church. It starts by seeing him. It starts by seeing Jesus, the good shepherd, filled with love and a pure heart, that gives us the ultimate example here of leading a church well. 
How does he do that? Well, Jesus, the good shepherd, shows an ultimate love and a pure heart by laying down his life for the sheep. He's not coming to beat the sheep. He's not coming to dominate the sheep. He comes to love the sheep and to lay down his life for the sheep. Jesus dies so that we can be ransomed from our sins. Jesus dies so that we don't have to strive and struggle for position and status within the church. We can be happy with the roles God's given to us and we can flourish within those roles. We don't have to make a name for ourselves. Jesus dies to give us a whole new identity. We're not trying to build my identity. We're trying to lift up the identity of Christ and what he's done for us. And when we get that, when we get what Jesus has done for us, we can submit to his ways for our lives gladly. Gladly. The gospel liberates us and the gospel grows us as we submit ourselves to Christ and follow his order. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we can come and uh, gather around your word. Father, we thank you for 1 Timothy 2. God, in, in many ways, this has been a straightforward passage over many, many years. Uh, but Lord, today, uh, it's got challenge that has come over it with over the past decades. Uh, Lord, I pray today that you'll help us to see that your order is good, your order is right, and your order helps us to uh, find a place of flourishing and find a place to see the gospel grow in our lives. Lord, for ladies who've struggled with this, I pray, God, would you give them the grace to be able to trust in your goodness and to trust in your order and to submit themselves to this, Lord, and to find peace and joy in the Holy Spirit as they do that. Uh, Lord of men, I pray, as who have abused this passage and used it as a domination or demeaning passage, God, I pray that you would ask them to repent, to turn from that sinfulness, Lord, and with love and a pure heart, they would uh, nurture and guide the women in their lives and in this church, I pray. Help us, Lord. Help us to stay true to you and faithful to you, Lord, we pray. Uh, we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, we are going to take some um, question and answer. Now, you can bring that slide up, uh, Jerry. Thanks. If you want to... You may not have any questions, I don't know, but if you've got questions, please... Um, Got to log in myself. Okay, uh, got eight questions, um, and, and you can make this anonymous. You don't have any names. That's cool. Uh, when, where no men will step up to leadership in a church, is it appropriate for a godly woman to step up to lead, even if it is to the shame of men? Great question, and the answer is yes, with provisos. So let me give it the provisos. If you were in, say, a country where the gospel is hardly broken into, and the first people that were saved were mainly women, and that often is the case, that mainly women are the first ones to be saved, it would be okay for the women to lead that church initially and get it up and going, but with the whole intention to transfer that leadership to men. So that is God's order, is for men to do it. So in that situation, there may be a context where the women do need to live for a while, but if they're truly going to follow 1 Timothy 2, they're looking to transition as quickly as they can to male leadership. So it's not a rule, yep, it's going to stay that way all the time. If that's where God's moved to that particular spot, that's okay. Now, in a Western church where there's always going to be some men there, the women should be trying to provoke the men, step up. Step up, men. Don't sit in the shadows and let us do it all. Step up. If complementarian view is not popular today, should exchange have more ongoing teaching of the biblical position to help the church explain it to others? Well, I think we've done some of that today. Um, I think it's, it, it's, not a, um, it's not something where you land on the front foot as a church. It's not, it's not a key gospel doctrine. Um, you don't have to believe this to be saved. You can believe alternatively. So other churches that believe women can take all this, they're not going to hell because of that. But at the same time, it's good for us to be aware of this so we can explain why we think this is the right way for a church to grow. 
So I think we've done some teaching on that complementarian position today. God seems to still bless churches and people who do grow in Christ in churches that have women as lead pastors. If women are disobeying, why is God still blessing? Um, good question. It's really hard to know, is God blessing or are we just seeing numbers increasing and are those people truly converted and truly growing as disciples in church? I'm not going to make that call because I can't look into people's hearts. Um, it, maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just attracting people and lots of people are going there and it appears like it's being blessed. I'm not going to change what 1 Timothy 2 says because it's a universal principle for all time, all places, all people. I would be encouraging those churches, if they wanted my you know, humble opinion, I'd be saying, you need to transition across to male leadership. That's how the Bible talks about it. If, if authoritative teaching of the Bible is for elders, how does this understanding work out for leading a mixed home group of disciples? So our Connect and Grow groups, we allow ladies to lead those groups. They're not teaching the Bible in those groups. They're facilitating leading a discussion of the Bible study group. So they're not teaching the Bible, the material's all presented to them and they're just leading the discussion for the night. So it's not, a, not an authoritative teaching position to lead a Bible study group. They're facilitating the discussion of the group. So as a church, we're happy for ladies to lead that Bible study group. How does that verse... Uh Here's that verse, 1 Timothy 2.12, understanding the principle relate to selecting Bible study material for a church group or individual. Um, not exactly sure what that question is asking there. That could be just my brain that's not working well. It doesn't have any bearing on how we select our Bible study material. Um, Rob and I work together on choosing stuff for the Bible study groups. Um, we don't sort of steer stuff one direction or another, sort of keeping it away from that passage. Maybe I'm answering the question, maybe I'm not. Should we as a, support, uh, as a church support other churches that have females teaching, e.g. Uh, local churches? Uh, I think there's a sense where we need to be the body of Christ amongst m many other bodies of Christ as well. I mean, in this, in this town, probably less than a handful of churches hold a complementarian view of Scripture. The majority would be egalitarian. I'm okay to meet with those guys and we pray together once a month and do stuff together. I mean, if they were to get up and begin to teach in that pathway that you've got to allow all this to take place, I'd probably put my hand up and say, guys, let's just stay on the, on the main core principle of the, doctor, of the gospel when we meet together as corporate churches. And they all respect that. So I don't have an issue being with other churches. Like I said, it's more of a secondary doctrine than a primary doctrine which would actually break our fellowship with them. EC Kids Church works with the women teaching in, in a teaching role. How does that line up with the teaching in 1 Timothy 2? No issue at all. We're talking adult men. So they're talking kids there. Uh, I've got a great book here, um, uh, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, and there's a page in there that says all these roles that women can have, and that covers the whole page. Teaching kids is no problem. That is no problem. That's not, that's not what Paul's talking about here in this passage. Do you think this passage was used by Satan to try and split God's church? Uh, of course. But every passion in the Bible, Satan will try and use to split God's church. He will use any mountain of ways that he can to split the church. Uh, considering women in the Old Testament with leadership roles, Miriam and Deborah, is there some capacity by which a woman can have some sort of leadership role in the church? Totally. I mean, women can lead women ministries, women can lead in youth, women can lead in um, kids' church. Uh, there's, there's multiple roles there. I mean, if you, if you think about Deborah, uh, it was Deborah and Barak. Barak was the, was the bloke. And Deborah was saying, you aren't stepping up, Barak. So I'm going to have to jump in because you're not doing this. It was really, it, it's a slur on Barak in that particular passage where Deborah's got to step up and do this. And if you read Deborah's prophetic song at the end, it's, uh, prophetic song at the end, it's a bit like this picture of, you know, a woman's had to get up and do this. It should have been you, Barak. So there are positions, like I said, there's a whole page full of things here where women can lead in the church. Just not in a teaching uh, the Bible position or having an authority over men in a central role authority. Last question. 
Do you have a problem with a female song leader, including the possibility of her teaching for the Bible in this situation? Uh, no, we have lots of female song leaders here, and they're not teaching the Bible from a central authoritative position as they as they're leading the thing. They'll get up and they'll share a passage and they'll say one thing about it, but they're not doing what I'm doing now and sort of let's pull this apart, let's get into its context, and let's here's what it says, and now you need to obey this. They're not saying that. When they're up there, they're sharing from the scripture. And they're just um, passing on just an encouragement or a thought that they've had that day. So it might take a minute, 30 seconds, but it's not the central authoritative role uh, in that time. Lizzie. Yep, yep, good question. Um, so what Lizzie just said is, it says in the next verse, which I didn't touch on them today, uh, and then the next one's a bit tricky as well, but I'll, I'll say a few things about that now to help us out. Um, the woman was deceived first and not Adam. And then, so Lizzie's saying, well, but, but weren't they both deceived? What Paul, I think, is saying there when he says that is that Eve stepped out of order when Satan was trying to tempt her, and Eve should have said, you need to talk to Adam. Adam's the head of creation, not me. So what Paul's trying to say there, that she was deceived first, and Adam was deceived as well because he followed what Eve did, so he's complicit complete, uh, completely, but he's also more than complicit. He's absent. He's right there beside her when that's happening. He should have said, Eve, don't touch it. God told us not to touch this. So he's abdicating his responsibility of headship and allowing it to take place. So they are both deceived totally right there Lizzie but what Paul's trying to say is is the woman at that particular time stepped out of the authoritative order that God had laid down and should have deferred that to Adam first but they're both deceived and my second question was what does this mean by but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith love and holiness with propriety that's a great question what Paul is getting at there is you don't have to become a wife and a mother to be saved. So don't think that. Because he's saying there, they'll be saved through childbearing. What Paul is indicating there, and this is, has been a very tricky verse through the Bible as well, what Paul is indicating there is for women to find their God-given role. And that's part of a God-given role. And not all women will be married, and not all women will be mothers either. But part of God, God's given order of roles in creation is that women uh, would follow that role, and that role very often follows to be married and then become a mother. So what Paul's trying to say there is we need to find our roles that God's given to us and then to stay within those roles. So not... Women aren't able to do those The only roles that women aren't able to do is to teach in a church or teach the Bible. Have authority in the church or teach in the Bible. But we also have to work and... Yep, that's okay. That's okay. Yep, that's okay. Katharina? Sure, I'd come back to 1 Timothy 2 and, and go back to the universal principle and say, Timothy, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is saying not to do that. She, there's plenty of other places where she can do that, but I would say if we, if we want to be godly in that way and follow that order, um, and that's the tricky thing, very gifted, but you can use that gifting in the right context. We hope you found today's talk challenging and fruitful. Don't hesitate to get in touch by visiting our website or sending us an email, but we'd love for you to join us in person as well.